Hi everyone. Our reading today is from John chapter 1, verses 35 to 51. It's on page, page 1063. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what Jesus had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All right, thanks Mitch. And let me uh, add my thanks to everyone for filling out that survey. Good work. (laughs) Let's pray and then we're going to get down to this most uh, important work of listening to the Word of God. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your scriptures, how they testify to your Son. Let him speak into our very lives that we might reflect him. Amen. I hope you do have John's Gospel open there in front of you. It seems to me as we begin that uh, the interview is a uh, standard feature of the recruitment process. Um, Of course, you might have casual catch-ups over coffee first, or they might make you do psychometric testing at some stage, but if you're going to build a team, you're going to be on a team, chances are there is going to be an interview as part of that process. And I wonder if you've ever had a terrible interview experience. I'm sure some of us had. I'm not just talking about where you, where you bomb out. I'm talking about like super awkward, where something super awkward happens. Perhaps um, somebody asks you that question, what's your main weakness? And, and you're thinking, I can't say I'm a perfectionist, not just because I'm not, but because everybody says that. And so you stumble and you end up saying something like hygiene. Uh, hygiene is my main weakness. Just not my strong suit, what can I say? I heard about an interview where uh, a fire alarm went off 
during the interview, and the interviewer went out for five minutes just to check that everything was okay, and he came back and said, it's fine, it's just a fire drill. And so they continued the interview while the alarm continued to wail about them. And then the interview was over, and the candidate walked out to find that the whole building was engulfed by flames. So I'm thinking that maybe interviews aren't like the best way to recruit a team. Today uh, we're going to see Jesus as he starts to recruit his team of disciples and his process centers on three little statements or questions or invitations that you would have heard in the reading this morning. What do you want? Come and see. Follow me. What do you want? Come and see. Follow me. By now, uh, we're in the third week of our series on the Gospel of John, uh, which, as you know, is a biography of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ by his best earthly friend, the Apostle John. And in the first week, we discovered from uh, the end of John's Gospel that his purpose in writing, according to these verses, is that we as the readers might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing might have life in his name. You see, John wants us to find life in Jesus that's why he wrote his, his gospel. And we discovered from the kind of executive summary, the overview, the prologue in the first 18 verses, that Jesus is the eternal word who was God from the beginning, but then burst forth into our world, becoming flesh and made his dwelling among us, literally pitching his tent, as it were, at ground level with us. And last week, you remember Richard... Borgonen shared with us about John the Baptist, this extraordinary towering figure, the last of the long line of Old Testament prophets who paved the way for the coming of Jesus. He uh, prepared the people for the arrival of the Lord by calling them to repent and to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And he consistently pointed away from himself, pointing to Jesus. So have a look at chapter 1, verse 29 from last week's reading. Look the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now today, true to John the Baptist's intention, according to John, the biographer's testimony here, the focus does indeed shift away from John the Baptist to the Lord Jesus, the one for whom he prepared the way. What do you want? Come and see, follow me, he instructs. So firstly then, what do you want? And just to set the scene a little, it's very early, obviously very early in the life of Jesus' ministry. Have a look in your Bibles, verse 29. I'd love you to look at it with me. Verse 29, verse 35, verse 43, where it says, the next day, the next day, the next day. Which, you know, when you think about it, is a little bit like the creation account in Genesis 1, how it sort of lists off the days. Whether or not you buy that, John is inescapably building kind of momentum in these early days of Jesus' ministry. And verse 35 is a transitional kind of verse that takes off from where we left last week with John the Baptist, who for the second day in a row sees Jesus and remarks, Look, the Lamb of God. There, there he is. There's the ultimate sacrifice in the pattern of the Old Testament Passover lamb. There he is, the one who would identify with the people and deal with their sins once for all by his own sacrificial death. Look, says John the Baptist, pointing away from himself, pointing towards Jesus, the Lamb of God. But notice something. He says it firstly to two of his disciples. And those two seem to immediately leave 
John the Baptist and they start to follow Jesus. Now, just ponder what that must have been like for John the Baptist. This extraordinary, towering figure, the last in the long line of Old Testament prophets, the one to whom the crowds had flocked in the desert, points to Jesus and his own disciples move and follow Jesus without any intervention from John and presumably with his blessing. And when it says those two disciples left John and followed Jesus, it actually means that in the most literal sense. They physically followed him. I mean, semi-stalking Jesus. And so he turns around and says, what do you want? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? What do you want? Because it works at a very basic level, doesn't it? Um, So you guys are following me. That's a bit weird. What do you want? Uh, Can I help you with anything? If you read that generously or... What are you guys looking at if you read it otherwise? But it works at a much deeper level too, doesn't it? For these two lads are clearly on the scout for answers, for meaning, for hope, for purpose, really for life. Now what do you want? Let me ask you that question. What do you want? I'm sure you've thought about it before. I'm sure it's what we spend most of our week working towards. What do you want? The Australian Seniors Insurance Agency released a survey this week which revealed that almost one-fifth of baby boomers... Now, if you're a baby boomer, not having a crack at you today. Maybe later, but not today. One-fifth of baby boomers dip into their kids' inheritance to go on holidays, and the vast majority of them don't feel guilty about it at all. (laughs) If that's you, power to you. Now, the, the survey piqued my interest because I was sitting in traffic in a car this past weekend which had that exact bumper sticker on it, happily spending the kids' inheritance. Now, half of the 1,000 people that were surveyed in this survey apparently subscribed to the idea you only live once, or as our young people call it, YOLO, you only live once, which is technically true, but it probably doesn't include the subtle nuance that you do live once, but for all eternity. And how you spend these few short years has a real bearing upon where you'll spend eternity. Now, I'm not commenting on whether baby boomers should feel guilty about spending their kids' inheritance or not. But there is something, how do you say it? There's just something to that idea, you only live once. Seize the day. Suck the marrow out of life that has real kind of purchase and traction in our culture. And if you actually dig further down into the survey, it said that 94% of people said that travelling made them feel alive. 89%, the vast majority, said it's a great opportunity for self-discovery and personal growth. Don't you find that fascinating? What the baby boomers want is life, and many of them, perhaps the majority of them, hope to achieve it by travel. But of course, we can't just pick on the baby boomers because lots of younger people also try to get life by travel or by accumulating sorts of experiences. And and people who are in between, uh, we might be trying to achieve life via different means, such as careers and community involvement and parenting or purchasing. But what is common is that we all want to feel alive. We want to grow personally. We want our lives to have purpose and pleasure. We want to have meaning and meals out. We want security and significance. We want to love and we want to be loved. And our cultures and our generations and our personalities means that we might have different expectations about how to get it or what it looks like 
just as the culture of these first disciples shaped their expectations about what life really looked like. But what do you want? I suspect that our answers are effectively the same. We all want life. Now, these two disciples, these early adopters, they don't use the word life here. You would have noticed that. But they have been disciples of John the Baptist. They're now following Jesus. Soon they will say, we have found the Messiah. It's him. And you'll remember that John's whole purpose in writing his gospel, his biography, is that we might know that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing we might have life in his name. So life is what they're on about. It's what we're on about. And from this little encounter, it shows us that it is also what Jesus is on about. He is the eternal word. God himself who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by his sacrificial death. And he is the Messiah, the long-awaited prophet, priest and king in whose name we might have life if we only believe. Now, of course, I'm uh, jumping the gun here because at this early stage of the encounter, Jesus just asked the question, what do you want? Uh, and it seems to me like it's kind of caught them off guard, hasn't it? They, they don't apologize for stalking him. Oh, sorry, mate. Uh, they don't explode with their great existential request for life. And in fact, they ask what sounds like a really lame question, don't you think, in verse 38? Teacher, um, wh- where are you staying? <laughs> And you could imagine, you know, the second one looking at his mate and rolling his eyes. You imagine the first guy who asked the question kind of shrugging his shoulder, going, this is the best I could do at the time, man. I'd like to see you do better. Teacher, where are you staying? Well, Jesus, who certainly is a teacher, with teachings that are both trustworthy and roadworthy, in other words, they work at ground level, he responds with the second little statement for the day. And really, it is an invitation, come and see. What do you want? come and see you think guys that i might somehow be the answer to your quest for life for an improved situation for the culmination of your culture's expectations of a coming king and savior come and see and they did it says they spent the rest of the day with him what a remarkable opportunity it was for them hey jesus invites them come and see they spend the rest of the day with him And they discover, have a look in verse 41 in your Bibles, please. They discover verse 41. We have found the Messiah. In our inner beings, they're saying, we knew there was more to life. In our culture's expectations, we were looking for more. Under the instruction of our previous teacher, he said, look beyond him and look to another. And we have found him, Jesus, the Messiah or the Christ. The first disciple who's mentioned here is the disciple Andrew. Have a look in verse 40 who forevermore would be known as the brother of Simon Peter, unable to break free of the shadow of his more acclaimed sibling, who was really the captain of the disciples. Imagine being Andrew forever in the shadows. But the very first thing Andrew did was take his brother Simon to the Lord Jesus. We have found the Messiah. And then, of course, Jesus looks at Simon and and renames him. says, you'll be called Peter or Cephas, the same name. It means the rock. In other words, dude, I'm going to build something on you. Scholars uh, think the other disciple with Andrew was probably John himself, the guy who wrote this biography, the best friend of Jesus. But did you notice he doesn't get named? It's not that important. 
What is important is that Jesus issued them with an invitation. Come and see. And when they did, they concluded that Jesus was the Messiah or the Christ. He was the culmination of their culture's hopes of a God-appointed king and saviour. He was the end of their search for answers, for meaning, for improvement, for peace with God, for what John will later call life. When I was uh, leading a youth group in my previous job, there was a guy in the group called Rob, and uh, whenever I would speak, he would look at me frowning every single time. I thought, man, Rob must really hate me, and yet he still keeps coming. That's weird. And it was only years later I realised he wasn't frowning, that was his concentration face. So if you're frowning, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, okay? And uh, I met him at a party recently, and we were talking about things, and um, I mentioned that I thought... You know, we were about to enter difficult days in kind of the Christian world, church land, all that sort of stuff. I said, you know, there are people trying to get scripture out of schools, like this very day, that's true. And, you know, we're mocked in the mainstream media and so on. And I noticed he was frowning. I said, Rob, you're frowning. He said, uh, I said, why are you frowning? He said, you're an idiot. I said, listen, I just want you to tell me what you really think. And he said, I'll tell you what I really think. I think you got the answer that people are looking for. You're worried about the 1% keyboard warriors that are bashing their criticism out on Facebook and in the comment section of the Sydney Morning Herald website. He said people are looking for security because the world doesn't feel safe. Isn't that what Richard said last week? He said people are looking for a friend who won't let them down because their friends are coming and going all the time. He said people are looking for a certain place because there's no way they can afford one in this market. He said people are looking for some significance because their job is boring or for some relief because their job is so stressful. People are looking for an ultimate purpose in life because even the ones who have got it all haven't got it all because they still feel disillusioned, dissatisfied and restless. He goes, you got the answer in Jesus. You're worried about the 1% keyboard warriors. Now I'm paraphrasing Rob just a little, just a little, but what Rob was really saying to me is now is not the time to be thinking, oh, we're entering difficult days. He's saying now is the time we echo Jesus' invitation to come and see. Do you sense there might be life beyond what you're living here, even on the beautiful northern beaches? Jesus extends an invitation to come and see what he is on about. Will he bring you the life that we all so dearly want? And the thing is, you don't even need a personal invitation from Jesus. Just an invitation from one of his followers will do. Andrew. Forever in the shadows of his more famous brother, just takes his brother to Jesus. Come and see. Philip in verses 43 to 45. A poor Philip. Man, whenever he is mentioned in the rest of John's gospel, he appears out of his depth. You know, he's nervy. He's unsure. He doesn't pick up on social cues. Philip says to his somewhat cynical mate, Nathaniel, come and see. Man, isn't that what reading the word one-to-one is all about? You with a friend open the notes, which is really just opening John's gospel with a, a few extra notes, so that your friend can come and see. Man, you don't need to be Bruce. You don't need to be Borgonon when you can be you. Why would you want to be Borgonon when you can be you? So you just open the book and you show your friend or your mum or your husband or whoever who Jesus is. Is this the Messiah, the long-awaited saviour and king, the one in whom life is promised? Come and see now I reckon this uh, chap Nathaniel he's an interesting one Uh, Philip Andrew and Simon uh, 
Simon Peter, that is. They're all from Bethsaida, which is at the northern rim of the Sea of Galilee. Let's see if I can point that out. That's up here. See, Bethsaida, up there. And Nazareth, hey, there it is down there. Uh, the province of Galilee is in the north of Israel. All the religious uh, kind of action took place in Jerusalem in the very south in Judea, the province of Judea. And the kind of Samaria and, whoop, Samaria and the Samaritans, they're kind of in between. Now all is that, that is to say is that Galilee kind of has a reputation that's not unlike the way you think about North Queensland. Okay? I can say that. I'm from Queensland. A bit yokel, a bit uncultured, a little bit tropo. You know, the heat's messed with their faculties, all that sort of stuff. Might be okay for a holiday, but seriously, Galilee. Now, here is something that I did not realise. Nathaniel is sitting by a tree when Philip called him. Have a look at verse 45. In true Philip style, he's flustered, yet he's accurate. We have found the one the law and the prophets pointed to, the one the whole Old Testament points to, Jesus of Nazareth. And so when Nathaniel slags off Nazareth, I'm thinking he must be one of those superior types from down in Judea. But we know from later on in John's Gospel, chapter 21, that um, Nathaniel is actually from Cana. And let me show you where Cana is. It's just up the road from Nazareth. Nathaniel is saying, uh, don't reckon anything good comes from Nazareth. We used to play those boys in soccer. They're our local rivals. Jesus of Nazareth? Guy from up the road? What does Philip say? Out of his depth, Philip says, dude, just come and see. That's all he needs to do. I saw you under the fig tree before Philip even spoke to you, said Jesus to Nathaniel in verse 48. Very hard to know what Jesus meant by that, but clearly Nathaniel knew it pointed to some kind of supernatural knowledge. And it will not be the last time that somebody in John's gospel says, you know, it's Jesus, man, he knows everything about me. He does, you know. He knows us. And because Nathaniel was a man without guile, without deceit, in other words, he just spoke and he thought plainly and truthfully, he exclaims, oh, truly, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel, which are terms that also identify Jesus as the Messiah. He is the one in whom my hope is bound. Nathaniel is saying, he is the end of my search. I found what I'm looking for. Nathaniel believes, you see, therefore he has life. And in fact, Nathaniel will have further, way more concrete grounds for belief than merely Jesus' supernatural knowledge of him. He will see greater things, says verse 50. In fact, they will all see in Jesus a divine vision. As if heaven were open, just as it were in the time of Jacob, when Jacob saw heaven and earth joined by a great ladder or stairway upon which angels ascended and descended. I'm not making this up. I haven't been drinking. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 28. In the person of Jesus, this Son of Man, they will see a bridge between heaven and earth. Just as Jacob saw in Genesis 28, they will see it for themselves that Jesus is heaven-sent. Quite remarkable. And so today in these verses we see five people, the beginning of a little team that Jesus is recruiting. Andrew, always the brother of, forever in the shadows. An unnamed disciple, possibly John, but unnamed. 
Simon Peter with so much potential, Philip forever out of his depth, Nathaniel, a straight-shooting searcher who's committed to weighing up what's true. To them is asked the simple but probing question, what do you want? And of course the answer is life in one form or another, just as it is for all of us. Does Jesus bring it? There is an invitation, first extended by Jesus personally, then extended by his earliest followers, then extended by all of his followers ever since, to come and see whoever you are, whatever your background. From today, we see that Jesus is for people who don't even get mentioned, for all you no-names out there. He's for people who consistently live in the shadows of more illustrious peers and family members. He is for people with obvious potential. He is for those who always feel just a little bit overwhelmed and out of depth. And he is for seekers and searchers who earnestly want an answer. He is for you today. If you're a Christian and you've just lost your wonder and your certainty and you're muddling along in life because work is busy or the kids or the grandkids are tiring or your health is failing or your soul is weary, he is for you. I know you want life because we all want it. I'm just saying that the place to find it isn't, isn't in travel, career, parenting or purchasing per se, although they might be good things. It's actually in Jesus. Come and see that in him again. I'm sure it will refresh your spirit. And if you're not yet a Christian or you're not sure whether you're a Christian, well, of course, we invite you to come and see. If you've got a religious background, come and see. Jesus is for you. You've got a Catholic background. Come and see. Jesus is for you. If you're from a not very religious background, well, don't hide behind not very religious label. Come and see. If you're from a sceptical, secular background, come and see whether this Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited, the long-promised King and Saviour, the answer to your deep desire for life. I invite you to keep coming to church. If you would like to read the Bible one-to-one with someone, we can find someone who would like to do that with you. You might just want to read it for yourself. Come and See. Now, as we finish, I want to finish with that last little saying of Jesus follow me. See it there in verse 43, have a look. Where Jesus found Philip, goodness knows Philip wasn't going to find anyone, the kind of guy that couldn't catch a cold, you know. You've already seen it in verse 38 where the two earlier disciples turned and followed Jesus. Follow me. You know, in our culture, it's uh, popular to be uncertain, isn't it? To be almost agnostic about ultimate spiritual realities. To talk about being on a search, which never really ends. To talk about being on a journey in which you never really arrive. I mean, how silly is that? The whole point of a search is that you find something, isn't it? The whole point of a journey is that you reach a destination, even if you do discover interesting things along the way. Jesus invites us to search our own hearts when he asks what do you want? He invites us to search him when he offers, come and see. But you must see that it's not a take it or leave it offer. Because ultimately, he is the find at the end of the search. He is the destination at the end of the journey. And you can see that from the way that the titles or the names for Jesus just cascade out of this passage. Which Nathan, our extremely whatever it is, thoughtful. He's a weapon of a dude. Youth minister helped me to see during this week when we were thinking about it. Very lucky our teenagers got Nathan teaching them. This is what he helped me see. Jesus of Nazareth, he ain't just the guy from up the road. 
Have a look at verse 36. He is the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Do you need to bring some of that to him today? A sin? Unconfessed? He is, verse 38, verse 49, the rabbi, the teacher, whose teachings are trustworthy and roadworthy. Do you need to put some of his teachings into practice this very day? He is the Messiah or the Christ, verse 41, the long-awaited king and saviour sent from God. He, oh, I forgot this this morning as well. I'm supposed to put these up. Son of God, King of Israel, Messiah, the long-awaited Saviour sent from God. uh, And Son of God, King of Israel are two further kind of royal, kingly terms, titles for Jesus. He is further the Son of Man, verse 51, who fuses both divine authority and human form in a single person. In other words, not just King over Israel, King of the universe. Entitled not just to little bits of our lives that we're happy to surrender, but all of our lives, all of our time, all of who we are. He is the definitive yes to all our soul's inquiries for this life and for eternity. And ultimately, he says to us, follow me in my entirety for all of who I am. Because the ancient Lamb of God is going to deal with your sin, make you feel better about it. He's not just rabbi and teacher. He's got some pretty cool sayings that seem sort of true. He's not just the Messiah, son of God, king of Israel for a people back then. And he is not just the son of man, just a human in whom the divine resides. He is all of that and more. And he says, follow me for all I am with all that you have. Rather than, thank you so much for browsing. It's been wonderful having you stopping in. Follow me. Now, uh, what I think we need to do as a consequence of today is to have answers to those three little statements of Jesus. What do you want? Friends, we've got to search our hearts. You do that and tell me that it does really long for life, deep, satisfying, meaningful life. And I bet you've looked for it in all sorts of places. Come and see. Christian or not, Jesus is... The fulfillment of your hopes, he is the end of your search for life, now and for eternity. It's very hard to imagine anything else that could carry the weight of expectations if it is not him. And if you have seen that Jesus is more than just one of many options, but is the definitive answer for your longings and expectations, follow him with all that you have for all that he is. Because Jesus wasn't only building a team back then. He's still doing it today, not by interview, but really by those three little statements. What do you want? Come and see. Follow me. Let's pray, brothers and sisters and friends. Let's pray. I'm going to give you a minute. uh, If there is, I don't know, like a sin you want to bring before the Lord, if there's wisdom that you need to put into, his wisdom that you need to enact in your life, if there's a part of your life work life, private life, whatever it is that you've got to give over to him. I'll give you a minute to do that, then I'll lead us all in a concluding prayer. Let me finish our time together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We recognize that in our heart of hearts we all want life, deep, rich, meaningful and satisfying life. Thank you for the invitation that Jesus extends to come and see. We thank you that we can extend that to others, those of us who know him, so that others might come and see. 
And Lord, for those of us who have come and seen that Jesus is indeed the Messiah and all those other things we've mentioned, help us to follow him for all that he is with all that we have. For his glory, we pray these things.